Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am here with my co-host, Anna, the Reverend Dr. A.P. Anna Strait. That would be me. How are you? (laughs) I changed it that time, didn't I? (laughs) Yeah, you did, but it works. I knew who I was. I'm doing great. Um, Just reminiscing about how I can do the intro so good, and then I kind of changed your name around a little bit. Well, that's what happens. We think we know what we're doing, and then all of a sudden we get lost in it a little bit. It happens. Well, it happens to me. I won't speak for other preachers. Happens to me all the time. Well, happy Monday, if you're listening to this, on the first day we put it out, the day after the sermon. You know, I, uh, I watched a show on Apple TV Plus uh, called WeWork, and um, or actually it's called We Crashed, but it's about WeWork, and they always have this slogan in the company, apparently, called, thank, thank goodness it's Monday, or thank God it's Monday. <laughs> and I've been saying that at work a lot, yeah. like TGIM to, to my fellow co- <laughs> colleagues, and they sort of hate me for it. <laughs> They sort of hate me for it. Yeah, but Monday's the day the pod drops. I mean, that's always a good day. Yeah, TGIM, everybody. So uh, if you listen to this the day after, we just had a great speaker at the church Mm -hmm. at First Press. Who was that speaker? Bernard George, who is a local historian, but also a leader in New Bern, who has so much experience and leadership and knowledge about where this town has been. And he's going to be talking about the Civil War and the genesis of the Black Church in New Bern. So um, I am really looking forward to that and hope we don't have all the details worked out. But for those who can't make it, we hope that there'll be a video available um, sometime soon. I think I saw in the bulletin, he, is he from the New Bern Historical Society? Well, he, he's volunteered there and he's been uh, on the board of directors and I can't think of all of the things, but he's been on the board of directors of Tryon Palace. Um, and just, I mean, he's from Harlow. He he just has a lot of knowledge, but he's not just smart and knows the stories. He also is a leader in this community on how we can make ourselves a better place. Cool. I'll link anything that we have from him in the show notes so you can check that out. Absolutely. The sermon this week is is a lot about gratitude. And on your desk right now, I guess there's a connection um, to is. that, right? Well, in the sermon, I talk about a tradition that we're going to restart. We used to do something called um, Coins for Hunger. You might have heard it as Pennies for Hunger. I grew up knowing it as Two Cents a Meal, but we haven't done that. I mean, COVID, all of the things, but we are really ready to get started. And the basic idea is that an act of gratitude, you set aside a coin or two at each meal. Just put it in this little, we have mason jars. We have mason jars with lids, and we hope that everyone will set aside just a coin or two at every meal as an act of gratitude. And then once a month, we bring all of those coins together. And yes, when we bring all of the coins together and give them to RCS, it will fight hunger. But that small act of at every meal expressing your gratitude is transformative to us. And that's a little bit about what the sermon hopes to talk about. Nice, nice. Uh, is there a connection there? Is the director of RCS? Uh, who yes. Is Zeb Huff is coming on October 23rd. So we thought that was a great day. It's right before our stewardship season begins. And so we thought that day when he's here, we're going to have, I think we have 200 mason jars with stickers and information to really start this off with a bang because there are a lot of people here who will remember this and know exactly what it's all about. But also there'll be a lot of people who've never done this before. So we wanted to make sure that we did a big kickoff and then we'll start receiving the coins for hunger um, the first Sunday in November. So what day do you get your mason jar? 
October 23rd. 23rd, and that's when uh, Zeb's here. Yep, he's going to be preaching because he's also a minister. He's the director at Religious Community Services, and he's going to be teaching a Sunday school class. So that's one of our largest partners for outreach. They do so much in this community, so we always want to deepen our connections and figure out how we can be serving in new and more significant ways. Cool. Well, look for, I'll put links uh, to them too, just in case you have, if you're new to the um, area or new to the congregation, uh, you can get over there. Uh, well, TGIM, we hope you have a <laughs> great week and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Paul Scott. I hope you have a week that is as good as your Monday. Let us pray. These are your words, O God. Humble us to speak their weight. Strengthen us to hear their truth. Unbind us to live their call. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, for the sake of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, and we are in the 17th chapter, beginning with the 11th verse. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On their way to Jerusalem, this part is consistent. Luke has already stated that Jesus has a destination. This trip has a purpose. He is on his way to Jerusalem. And this passage begins with that reminder. That's where Jesus is going. So we know where we are. But then Luke takes us to a place that isn't really on the map. He describes it as the region between Samaria and Galilee. But the issue with that is that there isn't really a region between Samaria and Galilee. So one scholar suggests that this is called the borderlands. It is an in-between place. And other scholars have suggested that's exactly what Luke and Jesus are trying to create here. This impression and this understanding that this journey, this place, is not one or the other. It is in-between. It is an in-between space. Hear these words that are written about it. The vagueness and the ambiguity of the geographical reference in chapter 17, verse 11, therefore, is suggestive. Jesus is walking through a liminal zone, a place of transition, a place between, 
where neither Galilean or Samaritan is at home. And that's an important component in this story, an important thing for us to consider, an important thing for us to ask as we ponder Jesus and the disciples walking through this in-between place. What happens in in in-between places where we are not yet where we are going, but we are also not at home? What does it feel like to be in that borderland, in that in-between place? What do we believe about borders and how they define who we are and how we live? What does it feel like living in that place where we are not at our origin, neither are we at our destination? What's it like when we're living in a world that is post-COVID, but it's not really? What does it feel like when the enormity of the grief has yet to be fully grasped. When the problems that we see in front of us are so big, it paralyzes us, it feels hard to move. What happens when the place that you thought was your home turns out not to be? These borderlands, these in-between places invite us to consider what it's like to be in between and to ask, important questions about what it feels like to be there and who else might be there, who else might God want us to encounter there. It's in this in-between place that Jesus is approached by 10 men with leprosy. 10 men with leprosy, which is different than 10 lepers as it is normally translated. 10 men who have a skin disease and they implore Jesus calling him master, saying, Jesus, help us. In their acknowledgement, they're saying, Jesus, you are not like us. You are not a mere mortal. You are something else. They see Jesus. They know him for who he is. And likewise, Jesus sees them, really sees them and knows them. The Greek indicates this. The words that are used here when it says that Jesus knew them imply to experience to perceive, to discern. Jesus sees them, they are fully known. And he tells them to go to the priest to present themselves, to the priest, to a place and to a person, a place and a person they would not have been previously able to go. They would have been considered unclean and suspicious and unworthy. They would not have been allowed to see the priest That's where Jesus sends them, the place where they have to go to get authorization to rejoin society and culture. And we hear next the reason why they can now go to see the priest. It is on their way that they find that they are cleansed. They are no longer 10 men who have a skin disease. They are no longer 10 men with leprosy. They are 10 men. And they begin to go to the place where Jesus has told them to go. Only one man, one man out of the ten, seeing that he is cleansed, cannot do what Jesus has told him to do. So overwhelmed, so amazed, so in awe is he of what has happened to him that he cannot help but give thanks. He cannot help but give glory to God. And this is no ordinary praise that is described by this man. This is a parallel to how the shepherds respond when they hear the news of Jesus's birth and all the heavenly firmament burst out in song. That's the kind of praise this man is offered. It's the kind of praise offered by the disciples when they see Jesus ascending into heaven. 
This is significant, big praise. It's worth disobeying Jesus to go back and offer this praise to him. And that's when we find out another important piece of this story. This is no ordinary man. This is a Samaritan man. The one who returns to praise Jesus is the one they would not have wanted to see, the one who would have been considered dangerous or other or not in the right place. They would have wanted him to go back to his own homeland and not confront them. But that's the one that returns. And Jesus asked him, didn't 10 men have this happen? Why has only one returned? Why weren't the other nine overcome with this gratitude and this joy, this need, this visceral need to give praise to God? Why not the other nine? Only this one, the one they didn't expect, the Samaritan. And as happens so often in the Bible that it's not really an exception, it's the rule. God speaks from the one that we did not expect, the place we didn't think we would be, the one we did not plan to like, the one we did not think had something to teach us is precisely the one God uses to teach us. But the lesson isn't even done here because what happens next is just as significant. Jesus says, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith is made you well, which is an entirely different thing from being cleansed to being healed in the body. What has happened here is something entirely different. This man has been made well, a word that implies rescued from danger, restored from a former state of safety and well-being restored to a former state of safety and well-being. This man has been transformed. It's not just his skin that has been changed, his whole being has been transformed because, because he listened to that desire to give glory to God, to give thanks, to live a life of gratitude. The gratitude changes him from an outsider to being recognized as a loved child of God. Gratitude changes everything. Gratitude makes this man well. Henry Nouwen reminds us that gratitude in its deepest sense means to live life as a gift to be received thankfully. And true gratitude embraces all of life, the good and the bad, the joyful and the painful, the holy and the not so holy. We do this because we have come aware of God's life, God's presence in the middle of all that happens. The call to be grateful is a call to trust that every moment can be claimed as a way of the cross that leads to new life. As Psalm 66 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praises. We are called as children, as people of faith, to give thanks to God. It is what God asks us to do. But the reality is that when we are grateful people, it changes us. That's how gratitude works. God invites us to live grateful lives because God knows it will transform us one of the reasons I love tithing. I love giving away 10% of all that I have received. 
And I don't know if Luke was trying to make an intentional connection here. It does seem rather a connected point that one-tenth of the people come back to give thanks, that one-tenth is what we are asked to give. And I know that when I give away 10%, my tithing may accomplish some small good in the world, but that's only a small part of why I do it. The significant part of why I tithe is because it changes me. It is an important component of my spiritual life. It helps transform how I see the world, how I live in the world. It's how I know that giving isn't something God wants from us. Giving is something God wants for us. Gratitude is not something God wants from us. Gratitude is something God wants for us because gratitude changes us. It deepens our faith. It expands our hearts. Conspire magazine, a periodical that attempts to explore some of the unique challenges of living out the gospel, had an issue on gratitude, and in it, author Dee Dee Risher wrote these words about a path of choosing gratitude that she had taken in her own life. She wrote, Several years ago, I began the discipline of writing down moments of beauty. I gave myself a quota of five each day. It was a challenge, so I kept a white notebook with me. I wrote about the angle of a robin's head, the five-year-old who was dressed up for ballet, the three men who are always outside of the liquor store in my neighborhood who have become sort of neighborhood ambassadors. And I began to thank my beloveds. Thank you for doing their chores. Thank you for helping me solve a technical obstacle for their habit of cracking jokes. She said, after doing this for a while, I discovered that gratitude changes everything. A spirit of gratitude is different and deeper than just being frequently thankful for specific things. A spirit of gratitude is actually a prayer for a change of vision. A spirit of gratitude, that's what this text calls from us. A spirit of gratitude that calls us to a change of vision, a change to a more faithful vision. And as Risher implies, sometimes we develop that in the small things, the small acts. In a few weeks, on October 23rd, we are going to restart a tradition here at First Presbyterian Church. We're going to restart the collection of coins for hunger. You'll be receiving banks and information on the 23rd. But essentially what we're all going to be asked to do is at each meal set aside just a simple coin or two as a way to mark our gratitude, to gather those coins across the days, and then once a month, bring these simple little coins together here at First Presbyterian Church. We'll collect them on the first Sunday of each month. And then we'll put those coins together. We'll send them to religious community services to help combat hunger. And yes, all of our coins together will help make an impact. But I also promise you that all those who engage in that daily practice of setting aside a small, simple coin or two at each meal, a little act of gratitude, the biggest transformation will be in your own hearts, in our own hearts. It will be a transformative act. Sometimes the practice of gratitude can be around a very little thing. 
but sometimes it also calls out from us a very big thing. Ellen Langer, a Harvard professor of psychology who focuses on the study of practice, at the study and practice of mindfulness, told a very amazing story one day to podcaster Krista Tippett on the program On Being. It was about something that had happened several years before in her own life. She said, many years ago, I had a major fire that destroyed 80% of everything that I owned. And when I called the insurance company and they came over the next day, the person, the insurance agent, said that it was the very first call he'd ever gotten where the damage he saw was worse than the call. Because my call hadn't been particularly distressed. And I thought of it and I told him, well, you know, the fire had already taken my stuff. I don't know what else I want it to take from me. And she said, continued, why give that fire my soul? You know, why pay twice? Which is what she said people so often do. Something happens and you have that loss. And then you're going to throw all of your emotional energy at it. And then you're doubling up on the negativity. And interesting, you know, to go back how you would take a tragedy and make and see it. Because we say a fire was not a simple little thing. But I stayed in a hotel for a little while and I had two dogs with me. So I was a vision, no doubt, as I walked through the lobby every day while my house was being rebuilt. And on Christmas, about the season when this happened, a few days before Christmas Eve, I left my room. And when I came back a few hours later, I found that it was full of gifts. And it wasn't from management. It wasn't from the owner of the hotel. It was the people who parked my car, the people who cleaned my room. It was the waiters who served in the restaurant who'd all come together to show some gratitude to me. It was marvelous. She said, when you strip away all the mindless insecurity, people are quite something. And so I reflect on that. And she said, now, many years later, I can't really tell you what I lost in that fire. But at this point, I have a memory that is far more positive than the fire. So sometimes the way that things unfold happens over a period of time. Sometimes gratitude is cultivated in small things, and sometimes gratitude is called from us in huge, significant events. In both, they're transformative. And sometimes the gratitude is easy. The former poet laureate of South Carolina, Archibald Rutledge, wrote these words in his 20th century book entitled Life's Extras. He wrote, neither a day dawning nor a sunset with all of its attendant beauty is really a necessity. It's one of life's extra. It is a visit to an incomparable art gallery and no one has to pay any admission fee. The human mind being somewhat proud and perverse can be inclined to reject this kind of proof of God's love, but the human heart can hardly do so, he wrote. Sometimes gratitude is that easy as a gorgeous sunset, but sometimes it is also very hard won. It is something we must work for. As the words of the poet Jack Gilbert demonstrate, he writes, we must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. 
If the locomotive of the Lord runs us down, we should give thanks that the end had magnitude. And we must admit that there will be music despite everything. The stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of the world. Sometimes that is the gratitude that is called forth from us. Gratitude like this one man showed, thankfulness, it changes everything. Make no mistake, it changes how we live, how we love, how we see others, how we view the world, how we make our way in the world. And our verses today ask something of us. They ask, what in your own life might be transformed by gratitude? Where are you in your own relationships and how might they be renewed or revived or seen anew through the eyes of gratitude? And where is God waiting for you to return that you might praise him in order that that praise might make you well? And then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Amen.
Friends, as you leave this place, know that there is no place you can go where God is not. You are God's beloved child. So let us speak the good news, deliberate the will of God, reach out to the fearful, comfort the lonely, sing, hope, pray, and laugh. And may God create in us bountiful souls. May Jesus Christ walk beside us, and may the Holy Spirit add a dance to our steps. Alleluia. Amen. Thank you.